You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org. I got nothing going on. You got nothing going on. I need something to do. We need something to do. You should know by now that men in the Bugatti, he's a member of the Thanks for downloading another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast, your source for art, culture, politics, and religion. Serious conversation that tries not to take itself too seriously. If you like what you hear, go to iTunes and leave a nice review. You can also like our Facebook page for more content and conversation. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. That you like, do whatever, baby, cause I, oh, I don't care, yeah, yeah, it's all right, all right. Well, we're recording the Sectarian Review today, live from the Wild Goose Festival here in Hot Springs, North Carolina. In front of people. You can hear the people. This is awesome. Uh, my name, as usual, is Danny Anderson. I'm assistant professor of English at uh, Mount Aloysius College in Crescent, Pennsylvania. Um, and I want to, before I get started here, thank uh, Russ Jennings, who hosts this awesome podcast of his own called uh, Love in a Dangerous Time. Uh, Russ has great, graciously invited us to do the show here today, along with the Christian Feminist Podcast, which you guys in the audience should stick around and listen to that as well. They're far better than this one. And uh, Russ, if, you, if you've never heard that podcast, a good one to start with is his amazing interview with Wavy Gravy, the, uh, the, the great hippie, I guess, icon. And, uh, and so, Russ, I want to thank you for inviting us here today. And if you're used to the uh, certain low quality of the production of this show, and that's why you listen, you'll be disappointed. Russ has set us up, and, and this is going to sound much better than we ever usually do. So um, I'm thankful for Russ. So Joining me today is uh, a luminary from the Christian Feminist Podcast, Carla Ewert. Uh, Carla, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Carla Ewert. If you listen to the Christian Feminist Podcast, you've heard me there. Um, and I get to be here at Wild Goose as well. Um, yeah, it's been great. I've, off, I've long wanted, uh, Victoria and I have talked about her being on the show. She want, I, I have a, a kind of distaste for TED Talks, and uh, she knows about this, and she wants to do a show about that someday, because I think she shares that. That'd and so, <laughs> um, so I've long wanted someone from the Christian Feminist Podcast on the show, and so I'm really happy that uh, you've made it today. Um, and Carla has also brought with her um, a friend that's helping us fill out this panel today. Uh, Carla, do you want to introduce sure. uh, our other guest? Sure. Uh, we have Michael Kimpan with us today. Michael and I both um, work for an organization called The Open Network, which is a, a network of progressive evangelical churches and leaders and people around the country and um, working together to create a more just and generous faith for, for people who have come out of conservative um, free church, non-denominational and evangelical backgrounds. I, I went to a panel. Uh, welcome, Michael. Uh, Thank you for having me. <laughs> I guess I should let your voice be heard. Uh, I went to one of the panels that you guys did, and this is where I, I heard Michael talk, and I was, I was really um, intrigued by what you guys do. It's, to me, still amorphous. I, I, I can't, uh, like pin it down and that's actually a really good thing for me I think that's what's, what's the most attractive about it it's less uh, it doesn't seem very programmatic it mm. seems very just sort of opening organic and yeah. yeah great great yeah. We plotted that. It's in our master plan. So <laughs> all things are going according to schedule. You planned 
anarchy. This is this is what we like. So, uh, well, have you, Michael, enjoyed your wild goose experience? It's been fantastic. Uh, lots of people, a lot of energy. Uh, get to meet great folks like you. And uh, as I said, thank you for having me on your show. And yeah. it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, um, Carla. Yeah, it's been really interesting. It's my first wild goose, um, and I've been helping to run the open tent and then doing some of this stuff. And it's been really hot. I know, but really great. Oh it's been Lord, fun to meet um, it's so hot. I've yeah. gone through like seven shirts in right. three days. It's, right. it's ridiculous. <laughs> Regular wardrobe changes. <laughs> I left the south and for a mountaintop on in Pennsylvania, and I didn't realize how much cooler I'd gotten it used to being, and, and it is. Have you guys gotten to see anything? Besides the open tent, uh, I know that you've probably been booked. Very little. Yeah. I mean, we've walked by things <laughs> on our way to get something for the open tent. So I know that there are other tents that are doing great conversations, but I haven't really gotten to hear and yeah. many even of my friends that are right. that are doing things around It's it. been hopping. I, the open tent has been hopping, just yeah. flowing out the sides. So yeah, it's I been busy, to, busy. I happen to set my tent up right next to that tent, and um, you guys have been busy the whole time. So mm-hmm. It's been great. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Really um, well, let me just get into the topic of the show today. One of my listeners, I sort of panicked uh, when I found out I was invited to do this, and I felt uh, not worthy of the of the honor. And so one of my listeners, uh, I sent a call to listeners uh, to give me ideas, and one of them suggested the idea of hipness for uh, this podcast and for the special episode. And I didn't, I don't know if I'm doing what he intended to do with it, but... Um, what I want to do today is think about hipness and hipsters in a slightly different way and try to recover some of that term, uh, some of the value of that term at least. I think it's become a really kind of easy and stupid reflex really uh, to poke fun at quote hipsters. You know, if you see a guy who has a well manicured beard, uh, uh, you could just point fun, oh, some kind of hipster there. Or if you French press your coffee as I do, uh, what is sheets not good enough for you, you hipster, or something like that. It's basically, we use this as a term to uh, paint as pretentious anybody uh, that we that makes us feel less about ourselves, um, or and is somebody that we think is snooty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what I want to do is um, explore an idea uh, of hipness as sort of an honest to gosh ethical position, like you've chosen to be different in some way from the culture around you. In or, not because of some sort of aloofness or some sort of um, idea of exclusion, but as a kind of um, ethical perspective, uh, as a place to gain an ethical perspective on society. Um, do you guys have any ideas of what that might look like uh, in practice? Yeah, I think it's actually terribly ironic that I would be invited to be a part of this podcast <laughs> on hipness. A because I'm not hip, uh, and B. That's debatable. Well, you know, I have I have two hips, um, <laughs> so I'm pretty hippie, but I'm not a hippie. See, this is a confusing term. I understand why yeah. we're not certain where to go with it, but um, I have in the past, and and I think there's maybe some um, healing that can take place on my own non-hipster soul as a result of this conversation. But in my past, I have used this phrase, I hate hipsters. Yeah. Can't stand them. And people would be like, why? And I'd talk about how I, I've been wearing black framed glasses for a very long time and now all these you know, hipsters are wearing... And I drank coffee since I was 12 years old and now everybody's drinking coffee and the craft beer thing. I'm like, no, I drink Guinness. Um, I don't wear skinny jeans. I don't understand why people would do that to themselves. Yes. And yet it's becoming increasingly popular and now I'm like, I probably need to get a pair skinny jeans and this is why i know that i'm not hip is i refuse to like follow whatever the 
the new thing is yeah. unless it's technology i'm like no i don't i don't wear those kind of clothes like snap button shirts and then i wait about five years and i've always been like this i used yeah. to be preppy and then they were like oh sweater vests are cool to wear and i'm like not yet not for me they're not and then i'd wait and then the next thing i know is i have sweater vest envy um, and now I'm wearing snap button shirts. So I think I'm, I'm just behind, right? Like I'm kind of like the church <laughs> with culture where when things are cool, I kind of follow behind. So I've always kind of taken this position that the people that are on the cutting edge of doing something at the margins and, and hipsters really have been, right? The, the whole coffee culture movement was generated in part through hipsters, yeah. um, skinny jeans, like all of these different things that are now becoming part of mainstream culture. Um, and and it's, it's interesting to me that as I look at how I have viewed this subculture of people, I've, I've been uh, distancing myself from them in some way, yeah. uh, which is the antithesis of what I actually preach when I talk about Jesus, who consistently reached out to those in the margins. So I think that this will be a really interesting conversation for, for me to have with you. Yeah, it's it's going to be messy because we're talking in kind of these philosophical frameworks that are always shifting, right? I well, so I agree. I think that the the I don't know if you think of the Brook, Brooklyn hipster, right? That that kind of stereotype, that cultural stereotype. I do find that to be a little obnoxious. I find it to be obnoxious because they are excluding themselves from society to create something for themselves, right? And I feel like there's got to be a way to exclude yourself from society in order to benefit that same society that you've self-marginalized from. Um, and that's sort of where I'm going. And your idea of like waiting for these trends, um, I think that's a good way to get there. Um, mm. I, and also, I mean, I've had, this, I've had hats like this since I was in eighth grade. I used to wear this on the bus, not this same one, obviously, uh, every day kids would make fun of me. I just always like these hats. It's no sort of emulation impulse on my part, right? Mm. But there's just some sort of uh, uh, attraction to this style. Um, so I've been accused of being a hipster myself uh, many times, and, uh, and we'll talk about that, I guess. Okay. Carla? Well, part of what you articulated in that feeling of not wanting to be categorized, right? Mm. You're saying, I do these things that are now considered hipster, but I don't want to be categorized as a hipster, right? Is part of what I think the hipster movement or whatever you want to call it is about, is about trying to move out of a category yeah. and become an individual. And and I think we do that in all kinds of ways. And then then we see each other doing it and do, you know what I'm saying? So, but I, but I think it's part of this boundary breaking that we're starting to try to talk about is actually an impulse that is, is a really... I guess human impulse to say no I'm not no I'm not just one of those I'm also you I'm unique I'm, I'm different right, right right that's that's we we all right. have within us the the you know bearing the image of, of the divine and we want to be known as ourselves and as valuable and as individuals with unique perspectives and I, I think you're quite right Carla that the hipster movement like as that developed they were saying okay what we see in term specifically in terms of capitalism yeah. um and like what who's popular and what's popular even the trending stuff they're like okay we're going to reject that and we're going to do our own thing and i'm going to go shop at a thrift store and like but then that became hey well, that's a pretty good idea because you can save a lot of money <laughs> yeah. and then macklemore <laughs> comes out and does that catchy song now i want to go thrift shopping all the time yeah. Well, and the tricky thing about it, capitalism is it tends to eat everything. Like, so it even co-ops these sorts of impulses right. yeah. um, right. and creates a new market out of them, basically, um, which makes this such a slippery topic. Mm. Um, like, as far as I don't even know what we're referring to often when we say hipsterism. 
I'm referring to sort of the devil term that we use just to label somebody a snooty. Mm-hmm. Um, N plus one magazine. I don't know if you guys ever read that. Um, a few years ago, they did a uh, kind of a sociological study. What was the hipster? Is what it was called, um, and it's kind of like a peer Past board tense view. Even. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Was that that was intentional in some way? Yes, yeah. and this was probably two thousand eight or nine, seven, eight, nine, something mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, um, yeah, they were. I mean, this is sort of a New York based enterprise anyway, and so they they I think had the Brooklyn hipster in mind <laughs> with this, but they sort of applied this kind of. Pierre Bourdieu uh, sociological like right. approach to that 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 idea of distinction, cultural mm-hmm. distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I want to do is not necessarily label that attempt at cultural distinction as always bad and selfish, but possibly as the attempt at gaining some sort of moral um, position in society. Right. As I probably said that. And as you're talking, um, the open network. I kind of feel like fits into this uh, a little bit. I feel like you're trying to create a space on the outside of existing institutions. You guys, one of you, uh, Carla, do you guys, do you want to talk about this? Sure. Um, I, I think that that's true. I think that part of um, part of the evangelical impulse all along has been this autonomous. I want to be my own thing. I don't want to be connected to a larger denominational structure. That yeah. has been where this free church non-denominational movement started as an attempt to be outside of a thing that was pre-existing. <laughs> and then it's, of course, as things do, become codified, codified in some ways and become had its, its sort of in trying to be outside of a structure, it also determined, I think, a doctrine that was quite central mm-hmm. and these doctrinal positions that became the defining ways to be evangelical. And I think that what we're starting to, to, to try to do or understand is what happens when you move out of those doctrinal spaces, mm-hmm. but your heritage is still this evangelical, non-structured thing, and you don't have, because that became an us, right? These doctrines became a way to define an us, yeah. right? And so we have to find a new us in some way that's not based on these doctrines that we can't always hold together, but we really want a sense of usness, a sense of um, camaraderie and unity and those types of things. And, and it matters that we have that, and part of what we're saying is, boy, you know what? What if usness is our usness? What if we don't have a doctrine that is holding us together, but we just are together? Do you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, in the, in the beginning yeah. stages, because we're obviously, Open Network is not the first progressive evangelical thing, right? Right. right. Um, and there, there are many, there are hundreds and thousands of individuals and organizations and churches around the country that have been pushing outside of the traditional boundaries of, quote-unquote, capital E, evangelicalism. Uh, but they come from, the, they hail from those traditions, and they inherited a certain way of doing church, a certain way of uh, understanding the Bible, a certain way of engaging in society. And as uh, culture has moved forward and as folks have grown in their own spiritual journeys and uh, communities have engaged in conversation, they've found that some of the old ways of thinking no longer hold up. You know, a a very obvious example that's a cultural hot topic right now is LGBTQ inclusion. So as these churches that come from an evangelical-ish tradition have moved forward, they've often found themselves being marginalized from their faith and family tradition. And so many of us that have kind of banded around this open network idea uh, began to have conversations about the many, many people around the country that were engaged in these conversations, not just about equality for gay people, uh, but conversations about how do we how do we have new innovations of doing church how do we have new innovations of doing community how do we look at scripture differently um, how do we practice uh, helping our theology along in new music and new ideas so all of these people are around the country but so very few 
are organized in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we really do want to, to be a place that all of these folks can come together and say, we may not agree on some central theological issue. And there may be churches that aren't yet affirming of LGBTQ people that are right. like, well, yeah, but I'm asking questions about atonement theory. And that, that got me booted out of my you know traditional family. Is there a place for me? And we want to be a place. That's why we're named open, right? We have a very, very clear boundary about who's allowed in and who's not because every every group has boundaries and we laid ours down in the very beginning and we're super clear about it and it's very simple if you want to be in then you're in okay and if you don't want to be in then you don't have to be but you're certainly welcome we're just we're open to all of it and we what we want to do is create and foster as carla said in the beginning a just and generous expression of christian faith uh so that we can actually plot goodness together and execute the things that we imagine as we know that uh you know there's a more beautiful world possible and and we feel it in our hearts and then we look around and we're like the world is not there yet um Sorry, I just feel like that impulse, that impulse to move towards something that you see is this sort of hipster idea, right? Yeah, this sort yeah. of thing that says there, there's a thing that, that I don't see in my mainline culture or in my, you know, sort of, uh, can't, I lost the word, mainstream culture yeah, yeah. That, that I don't see. But I, I have this impulse to go right over here and there's this beauty here. Yeah. There's this place here that I see that I want to create and start to live into. Just at the edge. Right, We're hipsters. Right. Right. Gosh darn it. Well, this is, but not in a bad way, right? Jesus, Jesus was a hipster. <laughs> well, I've seen those t-shirts, right? Those are great. It's Jesus with the beard and sunglasses. Yeah, I, now I need to go get one. Right, I think you should. Um, so I, one question I have then, um, for those who like me are ignorant about this, um, is there an expectation? Uh, this isn't a denomination, right? No. People who are a part of this open network can stay in their Southern Baptist church that, oh, yeah. that they have some differences with, right? And, and right. so how does the open network inter, interact with that sure. person? We do have a partner structure um, by which you can, you can, and it is a paid structure because we have to, you know, pay for this somehow. Girls got to eat. That's right. <laughs> you, and you got to, and so we, and we have, in that we have sermon cast sharing and podcast and uh, blog sharing where, where our partners can help contribute information and okay. resources to the rest of the group. We also have a general partnership, which is not a feed thing where you get our weekly email and you get our communications and you get to be listed on our site as an open church and those types of things. So it's, it's not at all, um, yeah, it's a very free, you know, let's all be a part of this thing. Um, but we also, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. That's entirely. okay. I'll pick up on something. So, Danny, Danny, you act. This is good. We'll just <laughs> right, play off right. each other. Carl right. and I I'll know each other that. well enough. Like, just look at me and be like, I don't know what I'm saying. I, I this is why three people this is what I, That's what I did earlier. And she's like, let me interrupt you. Yes, please. Thank you. Because I. Um, so you asked specifically about somebody like a hypothetical church in the, in the Southern Baptist Convention yeah. denomination. We literally have a church that is in L.A. that had an SBC pastor and it was an SBC church plant. And Danny Cortez is the guy's name. Heartland Community, I believe, is the name of the church. Um, and he started asking questions around uh, LGBTQ inclusion in his church. And he said, I don't want our community of faith to be known as an affirming church that everyone that comes here has to believe that it's okay for two people of the same gender to engage in a relationship. Okay. But I do want to be open to that. And, and the denomination itself was like, no, you, you can't really do that. He called it the third way. That's it's, it's not original to Danny, but he certainly is one of the first churches to publicly practice it. It became big news. They had a whole convention around whether or not they were going to kick Danny and his church out. Yeah. And he said, well, I'm ordained in the Southern Baptist Convention, so I'm always going to call myself an SBC pastor. You could take the label off of me, but that's literally where I got my education. And he's being gracious to both sides of the conversation. I think that's the key um, because 
for many progressives, many folks even here at Wild Goose, and oftentimes in my own heart, I believe that our version of inclusion is simply a new form of segregation. Yeah. We exclude people who don't believe the things that we want, and then we, and we walk around talking about how inclusive we are, but we'll exclude the excluders. And a great question for us to grapple with, maybe over hipster coffee, is how, <laughs> how do you become truly inclusive and yet maintain a safe and, and sacred space for people who oppose one another? What does it look like to have peaceful and productive dialogue with folks that don't see eye to eye on issues at the intersection of faith, gender, and sexuality? That's novel. That's new. That's not something that happens often, and yet it, it can happen. One of the organizations that belongs to Open Network uh, is in Chicago, which is where I'm from. It's called the Center for Inclusivity, and they they literally practice what does it look like for us to come together, people from all over the spectrum of faith that we've got a, a gay Jewish atheist guy who invites pastors over from conservative churches for brunch because they're friends and that friendship was forged in the fires of let's sit down we don't agree with one another you don't agree that I should have the equal rights that you have mm-hmm. tell me why that is and let me tell you why I think I should yeah. and and they develop a friendship they don't always see eye to eye oftentimes conservative folks move a little bit more progressive because there's this slippery slope called grace right. and understanding and love kind of like Jesus Go into the margins. You can't really exclude people, but that's the point, right? But then, but if we were to say, as as individuals or as an organization, only if you agree with us, well, well, who's us and who gets to decide? That's a power structure of a hierarchical understanding and interpretation that we're trying to remove ourselves from. That's what got us into this trouble in the first place. I had never heard of Wild Goose until this in- invitation came across my email, um, and I, I looked into it then. And I come from. You know, my own personal background is, you know, pretty mainline, low church Protestant, you know, uh, backgrounds, which tend to be conservative on a lot of issues. And so um, the speakers that I've heard here are clearly from a different world, right? Um, and, and it's not to say that I'm still mired in my, my own upbringing, but um, that this is the context from which I'm working. And so as I'm watching a lot of the events and the speakers and, and the other podcasts that are here today, this week, and I, um, I'm wondering, like, it's, it's, it's very kind of cheerleading. <laughs> the, like everybody here is kind of on the same page, just as camp meeting was when I was a right. kid, right? Yeah. Um, how is it that we can get the camp meeting together with the wild goose? Uh, you know what I'm saying? And I feel like right. I don't know the answer to that. Like for whatever reason, these two political positions don't necessarily talk to each other. They right. talk um, with, they don't talk among each other. They talk they speak to speak at and past each other. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, um, and it seems to me that possibly open is trying to uh, facilitate that kind of dialogue. Yeah, we hope to. Yeah. I think that's our best hope. I, I think, yeah, I think it's right now. I do feel like we're trying to understand our us and trying to map that out a little bit and gather together as much as we can to understand, um, all of those things and how we can be in the world in a, in a recognizable way that then would allow you to engage. Because I think in some ways engaging another being is being as solidly yourself as you can be. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> and, sure. Um, so I, and I'm, I'm hoping that those conversations do open up. I, I, I mean, I, I come from a largely conservative, not a very conservative um, <laughs> Protestant background, um, free church evangelical. And I can't yet have these conversations well within my family. Um, and I would love to. So that's the thing I think that we're all trying to 
to try to figure out how to do this. And so, but, but largely what I do then in that context is just be quiet. I just don't say. And that means what I'm not doing in my fam familial context is coming with my whole self so that they can come back at me with their, with their whole selves. Sure. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So that's a thing we have to sort. <laughs> um, um, and I think us being our uh, sort of living into some sense of our whole selvesness will maybe allow for those conversations to start happening well. Yeah. I'm hoping. My mom and I have this sort of unspoken agreement that she will no longer play Fox News when I come to visit. Right? <laughs> I mean, that, that's become sort of like an inhibitor. And so we've gotten a lot long much better. Although having HGTV on in the background, I don't know, is morally any better than that. But um, <laughs> at least we don't fight as much, I guess. Right. I don't know. Um, and so I guess that's what I find intriguing about what you're saying. And Michael, I, the the panel that I saw you talking at, you'd mentioned some of this. Like, if anybody who wants to come and join this organization, regardless of their level of agreement with sure. the frankly, uh, frankly, political positions that um, th that intersect with the theology, um, that doesn't matter. That's not a barrier to them, and I, and I find that to be um, an encourager, an encourager to the kind of marginalizing hipsterism <laughs> that yeah, I'm actually yeah. marginalizing in a good way, hipsterism in a good way right, uh, right. attitude that I'm thinking of. I, in the interest of full disclosure, I'll admit that as we were forging these ideas of who belongs and who doesn't belong and how like, what, are we open, we didn't have that name yet, but that's really where it came out of was those conversations with a lot of people. It wasn't just a few of us in a room huddled together trying to figure this out with some kind of master plan. I mean, it very much is a grassroots organic, uh, you come and help us define what we mean by progressive evangelicalism because people don't agree on what those terms are, right? Yeah. But but there is, and, and this came up in conversation, I was very quick to point out as we got our first uh, event together last October, we had a lineup of speakers and some of those speakers included folks that are well known for being a little bit far left. Mm -hmm. um, and so I said, you know, we're not going to see people that are on the far right interested in being a part of these conversations. And that's okay. People can self-select in and people can self-select out. And I think over the course of the history that becomes open because we hope to be around for a while um, and invite these kinds of conversations over the long haul, I think that there will be people who say, okay, I'm not sure I want to continue to go down this road with you because maybe you moved too far one way or the other. And that's, I think that freedom is something that is, that is all right. You know, as we look at the person of Jesus in the Gospels, and I often talk about how he reaches out to the marginalized and he crosses all these boundaries and he's hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. That's all true, but he also is dining in the homes of Pharisees, yeah. right? And, and the, the big thing that oftentimes, and I used to be a conservative evangelical fundamentalist. I mean, I went to a conservative Bible college and seminary and I preached things that, uh, you know, that I'm literally, I said this on an earlier show uh, with a different podcast that was earlier this morning. It feels like a lifetime ago. Cheater. But, oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. So I did get out of the open ten at least once, Danny. Um, but uh, now I've lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. I do that. Well, no, it's okay. You used to preach things. Yeah, I, I, I am literally the theological enemy of my 20-year-old self. Yeah. Um, I would, back then, I would look at me now and say, that guy's dangerous and does not know Jesus, right? But I, I really do feel that um, as we look at the person of Christ in the Gospels, he was uh, very intentional in terms of meeting people where they're at and dining in the home of a Pharisee in you know ancient Near Eastern culture is essentially a blanket endorsement yeah. and so he did that with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners and had a reputation as being a glutton and a drunkard like that was his rep on the street right. and at the same time he's hanging out with the religious leaders whom he had some really choice words for if you look through the gospels 
I would love to hear because that feels like we keep talking about this hipster place is almost a bridge between right yeah. these two, which is what you're kind of talking about. I'd love to hear your how you visualize this because I know when this. <laughs> You know, when this listener sent in this topic, this did something yeah. in your imagination, and I want to hear that. Hmm. Well, I mean, I think the show in general tries to occupy those positions. I, I think that we try to, um, the topics that I've come up with and that other listeners, a lot of our topics now get submitted from other listeners, are aimed at challenging assumptions of kind of mainstream Christianity. And so we're sort of actively seeking uh, an outside perspective from within our own tradition. It's like an internal critique, I guess, right. if, if you say. And honestly, if, if you don't, the name of the show, Sectarian Review, is inspired by the old um, cultural criticism magazine, Partisan Review. And it was basically the New York intellectuals doing an internal critique of liberalism back in the mid-20th century, right? And I, and I kind of envisioned the show doing that. Um, so for me, the topics we, we take are meant to sort of challenge the Christian imagination from within the tribe, um, right. if you will. Um, the next show that I have planned is we're going to talk about the show Hannibal, right? Which is something that, as a young Christian, I would have never been allowed to watch, right? Uh, and it's told to avoid at all costs. But I think it has actually some interesting um, food for thought. <laughs> right. If you've seen that show, that's a horrible pun. Um, but uh, <laughs> if you've actually, uh, it has some food for thought. Um, wow. For, uh, <laughs> for Christians to, uh, yes, boo, <laughs> um, to, to digest, if you will. And so oh. um, that's the kind of thing. It just keeps and fun. to mount decoratively on your wall. It, that it, tastes it, good. <laughs> yes. um, uh, so I guess intellectually, that's what I do this show for right. is to sort of seek out those margins. Now, a problem I have in my own mind when I try to reconcile this ethical position as I'm trying to frame it is at some point, like the suburbs were marginal communities when they were first created, and then they become the institution, they become institutionalized, right? Mm -hmm. So what's to stop open from becoming its own kind of mechanical um, set of practices rather than a marginal ethical voice? Uh, I feel like the church began as um, a marginal institution, right? And uh, in order to, uh, you know, morally critique Mm -hmm. larger society uh, and yet uh, we know what happens historically right. with the church the institution itself overwhelms the mission right. of the education any kind of institution mm -hmm. you can think of this is how it operates and so what's to stop these new hip hipster institutions from falling into those same traps or do we just have to disband them after a while and have a new form of hipsterism to critique open after sure, it's become sure. <laughs> man it sure would be nice to know the future wouldn't it yeah and, well let me tell you how we can avoid that <laughs> I, I don't know that we can uh because as you look through history it seems that it, as you pointed out almost every institution has gone through this kind of a process or is currently going through it but i think we're at an interesting time in human history where institutions are being viewed differently and and uh the director of the open network doug paget has a really brilliant talk about these different eras that you see, so in the agricultural area and the way that communities were formed in the industrial area and the way that communities were formed. And we're, we're coming up on this new, um, Phyllis Tickle, uh, God rest her soul, uh, talked about these 500-year rummage sales that yeah. happened throughout history. And many people are familiar with uh, the talk that she gave. And then she also wrote it in a book called The Great Emergence, which I'd recommend to anyone who hasn't read it. But the, the invention of the printing press uh, really affected what we know as the Protestant 
Protestant Reformation, and not just within the church, but also within broader society, the way that people communicated was radically different because now all of a sudden you can print stuff uh, in large quantities so you can get a message out differently. Now almost 500, almost exactly 500 years you know, here in terms of broad chunks of history, we have the invention of the internet, which we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of in terms of its potential. We have space travel happening. Like, they're, like they're, the world's different, right? Yeah. So what's happening is the way that people think is changing. We're, you could even call it an evolution of the human stream of consciousness. So now our internal critique of society is looking at these institutions that have formed and really are a fortress to protect and defend, right? Yeah. The church yeah. is, is one obvious example, and that's where I hail from, so I'll, I'll pick on them, sure. um, saying we alone are right and anyone who disagrees with us is wrong and we have to evangelize and get everybody on our team and 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 because we've decided right well that's not how wikipedia works that's not how uber works right I, yeah. we're, we're crowdsourcing and networking in different ways and i think that what open is attempting to do is to look at that and say man if we could if we could begin to organize in that in that fashion and really genuinely listen to one another mm-hmm. and and ask and that's one of the reasons that we didn't come out with like a statement of faith from open right we're like hey come help us define who we are because our very definition as a quote-unquote organization or institution yeah. um, is defined by the people that are in it yeah. and we want everyone to you know anyone who wants to be i mean it's not like global do- not domination denomination that was a Freudian <laughs> slip but like we're not trying to take over the world we're literally saying the world in which we live can be better and more beautiful and we believe that and we want to make that happen if anybody else wants to get on board with this here here we are let's let's make some good stuff happen and hopefully that um self-generated self-policed idea uh you know, think tank of who and what we are continues to develop and evolve along with the people who come in and, and make it more diverse and more beautiful. Yeah. And, and it seems to me that, I mean, what I find attractive at least about the idea of what you guys are talking about is that you're not abandoning the institutions of the church as they exist. You're sort of stepping away from them to sort of perfect them on some level um, to help at least attempt that. Um, and, I, and I, you know, I think podcasting works the same way. I mean, I, I'm an academic who has a lot of angst about the institution of academia, frankly. And, um, and, uh, and I kind of feel like the podcast is a way to sort of draw on what's good about it, but not get mired in the machinery, I suppose. Right. Um, um, so I want to switch to the wild goose um, um, stage, as it will. Uh, and is there an event? I know that you guys have been in your tents. Uh, <laughs> ironically, uh, you've been in your own tent the whole time. Um, but is there an event here that sort of imagines a form of this process, this hip, hipness in, uh, in the way that we've been talking about? Hmm. I mean, I, yeah, again, we've been, I've been very in the open tent. But I... I I actually think these conversations that we have really intentionally like this uh, with a few people in this way and all of the conversations that I've heard even when the speakers are speaking do take this position of both being in a place and observing it at the same time, which is what you're talking about with what you want to do with academia and with faith and all of those things. You're a participant and an observer. You know what I'm saying? Um, And so I feel like part of what Wild Goose has done, it's not an an event necessarily, but these conversations that it starts that, that people get to go, wait, wait, I'm a part of this and I also have this question I don't understand and I also want to critique in this way, but I'm I'm am here. I'm in this thing, and taking both of those positions is a thing that that I've experienced several times here. And this conversation is one of those times. Um, 
So right now, my favorite event about this is this one that we're doing. <laughs> wow. um, I think it's great. I, th- I love this art- articulating. <laughs> and if you're listening, we have literally ones and ones of people. Right <laughs> but I love articulating really clearly this space of being both in a thing and, 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 and a critique. Critiquer and an observer of it. Yeah, um, I, I like this articulation of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. And I thought, uh, just to draw on what you're saying, at your panel, um, I, th- I saw a thoughtfulness from. Uh, you're aware, Michael, of the dangers of making your own sort that's of silo. That's only because I've had a lifetime of mistakes. <laughs> I know what I'm capable of, and it's not great. <laughs> exactly. So I like that about your panel uh, particularly. Okay, Michael, thank you. was there anything that you... Um, I know that you haven't been able to see much, but is there anything that comes to mind? Uh, I mean, I would just echo what Carla said, and I'll, I'll literally say, yeah, what Carla said. Okay. <laughs> that works for me, actually. <laughs> I've done um, that on Christian Feminist. I, I, what she said. I was able to talk to um, the hip-hop artist Jay Quest, who's a Reverend Julian Deshazier uh, from Chicago, and I recorded an interview with him yesterday, and that'll probably be the follow-up in terms of the sequence of this podcast. We'll probably play this one and then play my interview with him. And I felt like the way his music career operates fits what I'm thinking of and that's what we talked about a lot yesterday is he's a a pastor of a church a mainline church I think it's UCC if I remember right Um, and he is a hip-hop artist Um, he doesn't fit neatly into the Christian music industry right because there's no sort of altar call to his lyrics right this isn't um, Kirk Franklin or something right that you know Um, and uh, and so when he uh, and I know uh, Russ, you interviewed him as well, right, uh, on your show. Um, and when he is making art, it doesn't fit neatly in the expectations of any kind of existing institution. It's like an individual who is at the edges of many of them. Um, and, and I felt like I was really inspired. I told him at the end of the, if you listen to the next podcast, I embarrass him by calling him the patron saint of this podcast uh, because I really do feel like he embodies everything that we, we sort of strive for on this show. And uh, because he does kind of seek a little bit of freedom from the institutional expectations in order to do them all the best. And, and I was really impressed with him. Um, and, and his performance I thought was really interesting. Um, there was a, a particular moment. Um, we were recording this. Uh, there's obviously, if you've been listening to this, a lot of terrible events in the news have been happening. Um, just as I left to come down here, I saw that there was a shooting of another black man by another cop in Minneapolis, or St. Paul, I think. Um, and then we got here, and there's no self-signal here. Um, my wife, if she's listening, this is why I have not returned your call. If you've called me, I have not received them. Uh, His signal's no fine. Here. No, I'm just kidding. It's really not. Um, None of us have any cell have service. No it's been horrible. But I understand there was uh, also uh, a snipe sniper attack on mm-hmm. some police officers in Dallas. There's a lot going on um, politically in the world right now. And JQuest, his performance, like, obviously felt that. Like, he kind of stopped the performance at one point to do a kind of impromptu version of one of his more kind of politically um, radical songs, What It's Like to Be a Black Man. Um, and he just sort of did a little freeform version of that and then went back to the show. And I felt like that was kind of a I told him it was necessary a little bucket of cold water uh, on, on the, the jo- otherwise joyous proceedings here. And, and I felt like that's the kind of attitude, the kind of stance that I really kind of admire about his work. And, and I felt like it really fit in well with the topic for today as I understood it. 
Um, and so inspired by that, um, <laughs> I like to end this on a down note sometimes, and this is one. Um, so uh, there may be danger, I think, as we've established, for events like the Wild Goose in their pursuit of hipness, uh, in seeking a moral distance at the margins of culture. And this is I'm reading, if you can't tell, because I can't keep this kind of thoughts in my head. Um, it's very easy to get caught up trying to escape or to try and move beyond culture. Um, at that point, you're just sort of forming your own little comfortable bubble. And I think you've abandoned that ethical margin then in doing that. How does a place like Wild Goose which meets away from society. We're in the woods with no cell phone reception, right? Um, avoid this sad fate. Mm. Mm. So, like, deep question, right? And, and really important question. I think um, the thing that, that resonates with me and that keeps, keeps me in check, um, at least as much as one can be, is not just hearing voices from outside and having people that I'm walking my own journey with, uh, but understanding that I'm not moving to the margins as a result of my stance on society. I'm not moving to the margins to challenge the status quo, although those things happen when you move to the margins. I'm personally moving to the margins, and open is moving to the margins because people are there, right? And um, if if we can keep that first and you know forefront of mind that um, there's a, a beautiful passage in the book of Micah that says he's shown you what is good, right? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Mm -hmm. And um, when we begin to self-inflate our own understanding of our own importance and say like, oh man, look at me, I, I French press my coffee, so I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> no, no. Like the point of having coffee is sitting, I mean, certainly I, I sat and watched the mountains alone today and had a cup of coffee and it was beautiful. Yeah. But I love sharing coffee and, and sitting across the table from someone and hearing their story. Now, tell me about yourself. Where do you come from? Uh, how can I learn from your experience? And if that's, the, if that's the motivation for the pursuit of the margins, then I think we keep ourselves in check because we're, we're listening. Yeah. Right? We're listening to, to other folks that don't look like, act like, think like, believe like us. Um, and it's when we get in our own uh, echo chambers, philosophically and intellectually, we, rem we remind ourselves of how right we are. Yeah. Uh, and we often do this. Church is another thing. You sit and listen to one way speaking from a pastor who tells you the things that you're supposed to believe. And we say yes and amen and we clap. And as soon as we disagree with our pastor, we leave that church and go yeah. to another place where we can be reminded how right we are about the things that we believe. Well, that just perpetuates a whole bunch of uh, homogeneity. That's boring. That's not good news. It's really kind of sad, right? Yeah. But when we begin to listen to voices and learn from other traditions and invite those who don't, don't share our beliefs and say, tell me what you believe and why. That's really interesting as opposed to tell me what you believe so I can correct you and you can believe what I believe. Yeah. Carla? Right. I think the word that I want to latch onto there is listening. Like this idea of... Um, I have a thing to say, and I know you do too, and I'm going to honor that and listen to it. And um, but that that posturing, that 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 mm. sense of being in a place of receiving rather than always in a place of giving, keeps you from taking yourself outside and saying just this. It's just this, you know, yeah. um, and keeps you in that bridge space where you're you're hearing all the things and all the sides, and you and you get to be in a continue to be in a bridge space. Um, yeah, but I do think there is a danger. I think there is a danger of of um, defining oneself as as other than or opposed to a thing, and that we can get really wrapped up in that. And that listening keeps us from from that space if we can maintain it. Yeah, I was really um, impressed. I, today I got a chance to see um, Shane Claiborne talk, and I, I obviously heard of him, but 
didn't I've never heard him or read him or anything and so um, and I was really impressed he did this really compelling um, anti-death penalty um, sermon and, and it was really compelling and at the same time loving right and, and there was a sense of I mean he was delivering it here I would have loved to see him deliver that at a more hostile crowd right <laughs> um, and, and see and see I'm sure he does um, I, I wish I wish I would have been there for that and to see how it was received here it was received obviously with open arms um, but uh, he delivered it in such a way that there was room to sort of reach out um, to the concerns of people who are pro-death penalty. There wasn't like a, a polemic uh, to it that was alienating. Um, I have to say, and I won't name names, and then there was another um, speaker I saw this weekend who went on this rather angry tirade against Trump and Trumpism, basically, in America. And we had our own episode about Trumpism, so it's not like I'm a pro-Trump guy. But I was struck by how sort of um, othering that speech was in exactly the same way that Trump speaks, frankly. <laughs> and so that to me was uh, an example of the dangers of silo making. Um, and, and, and I would hope someone from within this silo could speak um, a calming word um, uh, in situations like that in order to make this not just a left version of the Tea Party or something. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and I feel like that's always going to be the danger with the um, uh, the institution of institutions and this is an institution right it's a it's a it's a program that has been put together with an intent um, and it's got an organizational structure and it's got an ideology and so the danger with that for me is a, an unawareness of self and um, my daughter is 11 she's here with me um, I kind of told her about this is not the way to approach that problem. There are ways to approach that problem. It is a problem. I would do it differently. So uh, that's my little um, rant about that. Um, you guys have anything else to add? Are there contact information that someone uh, wants yeah. to, uh, or is there contact? Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can find us at theopennetwork.org. U.S., Open. sorry, theopennetworkus.org. You can find us there. Um, we'd love to have you come see our site, and our emails are there, and yeah. That's awesome. Um, well, thanks to Michael and to Carla for joining me today on the stage. Uh, and thanks also to the kind folks who watched us. Let me have you guys give yourselves a hand. Um, I was very nervous. You were very kind. Um, the Sectarian Review is a part of the Christian Humanist Radio Network, as Russ introduced these folks to. Um, you can find out about our various projects, and there's six or seven terrific podcasts, at christianhumanist.org. Um, our website is sectarianreviewpodcast.weebly.com. I still haven't paid for that, so I'd use the free version. Uh, and we also have a Facebook page and all that stuff, too. Um, I'd love to connect with you on Facebook, as that's become a really fun place for listeners to uh, interact with us and, and give us ideas and feedback and correction. Um, this is one thing I want to be careful of as we're talking, that I don't become concretized in my own thinking about things. Um, and for those, of us, or for those of you who are live here, please enjoy the rest of your uh, Goose-related festivities. Um, right after this, the Christian Feminist Podcast is going to do a, a terrific show. Um, I, as always, am Danny Anderson, uh, reminding you, as always, of Kafka's line, don't despair, not even over the fact that you don't despair. Bye. Thank you. Okay, here we go. All right, that's good. I love that. Okay, and <laughs> thank you, Danny. Thank you, Carla. Thank you, Michael. Thank Michael you, was here earlier. Some of you may remember him. And uh, thank you all for being with us. Thanks, Russ. Thanks. And we will continue with this 
this uh, general trend in the world called the Christian Humanist Network, as Carla will be in the driver's seat for the next one. We're still going to take our half hour, so so come back. Uh, uh, actually, 40, 50 minutes, 40 minutes. Come back at 2.30, and we will do that one. So see you all then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. Oh, we'll yeah. take a few more minutes, yeah. Yeah, here. Okay, yeah, and this is still recording? Yeah. Okay, yeah, in case we want to use it. Hi, I'm from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and I'm a Mennonite, and I've been personally struggling with narcissism, and one of the things Mennonites have taught me is humility, walking with God in humble fashion, and I'm wondering how much of hipsterness is narcissism? This is, I, for me, what I'm trying to avoid. I, that's the, I think, the way it gets pitched is a devil term. I feel, I feel like, the, I, I just, I, I'm sure there are people living in Brooklyn who are hipsters who are nice people. But I'm just using that as a cultural stereotype. The, the Brooklyn hipster type is someone who I think thinks that the the plebeians who are just buying things that companies are selling them are kind of too stupid, and so they're not. I, I think that's the negative form of that, right? Um, I think. As Michael suggested, running to the margins as a form of freedom um, from the kind of trappings of those institutions in order to um, love back on those institutions and not just abandon them to their fate, right? I think it's all, it's, there's a, a question of intent and attitude that goes along with this. And so I, you're right. I think that's a, a super danger with that, um, is there's a, a, an elitism that has been associated with that term, I would like to see us come up with a new way to pitch that activity at least. Um, does that make sense? Carl, uh, you guys have anything to add to that? What he said. What he said. Any other questions?